Greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I am your host, Jason Mullett. Uh, you can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. You can watch these podcasts on YouTube. You can search for and subscribe to our channel there. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes and subscribe to our feed there. You can just search for Logical Belief, and we should come up as probably the first uh, search result there. Uh, both the audio and video can be found at our website, uh, just right there on the far right of the top menu. Just click on Podcast. If you want to send me a word of encouragement or to ask me a question or anything else, uh, just drop me a line uh, by sending a message to jason at logicalbelief.org. I do want to make sure that you are aware, though, by sending me an email, you are giving me permission to read it on the air. Alrighty, well, uh, today... What I wanted to uh, address and discuss on this particular podcast is probably not going to <clears throat> uh, make me the most <laughs> popular podcast out there, but it is something that does need to be talked about and and discussed uh, seriously and. So for all two of uh, you listeners out there, I, I may lose half of you, uh, or maybe all of you, but uh, that's not the point. Uh, the point is, is that we as Christians are called to stand on truth and to proclaim it and speak on it regardless if uh, whether it's popular or not. So... The current craze uh, going on in our country today is an infatuation with the Roman Catholic pontiff, the Pope. Um, right now, he's all over the news. Uh, we have so-called evangelical Protestants fawning and falling all over him. Some even going as far as calling him Holy Father or His Holiness. And we'll discuss that. But um, the question that I really want to discuss today is, um, are we still protesting or, or not? If, if we're Protestants, and most evangelicals would at least go to a so-called Protestant church, when did the protest stop? When did all the things that the Protestant Reformation was started for, when, when did uh, Rome resolve these issues? Um, in fact, my contention would be is that all the things that the original Protestant Reformation, uh, Reformers started the Protestant Reformation for, the reasons for it, are still there today. And in fact, there are even more things um, for us to protest as Protestants. And <clears throat> so the question and challenge I have for you guys out there that are fawning over the Roman Catholic Pope is, is why are you going to a Protestant church? I mean, I, I don't remember getting the memo that the, the Protestant Reformation had ended. The Roman Catholic Church still 
um, engages in the use of indulgences. This was a thing that was one of the, the major uh, things that kicked off uh, Martin Luther's 95 Thesis um, in uh, 1517. Uh, we also have purgatory. No, nope, still teaching. The Roman Catholic Church, I don't think they've recanted that. Um, they still practicing and teaching the blasphemy of the Mass. I don't see that they've changed that at all. They still teach infused righteousness versus imputed righteousness, which is a completely different gospel. I, I haven't heard of them recanting that uh, the canons of the councils of Trent and we'll go over those in a little bit but uh, I don't believe that they have recanted any of those uh, justification by faith they've anathematized within the councils of Trent justification by faith so for all of you Protestants out there that truly of conviction believe Romans 5 1 that your peace with God is based upon God justifying you through faith, and therefore you have peace with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have peace with God, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So if your standing before God is based upon His justifying you through faith, then you've been anathematized. By the Roman Catholic Church you've been cursed to be separated from God for eternity um, the Roman Catholic Church hasn't recanted the abomination of the papacy itself still a Pope their denial of sola scriptura right there you know one of the five solas the fourth one they haven't recanted that one uh, are they still praying to saints? Yeah, yeah, they're still doing that. Are they still engaging in Marian worship, the worship of Mary? Yeah, they're still doing that. Do they still teach the treasury of merit? Were the extra merits that the saints um, accomplished while they were on this earth are in a treasury which which you can tap into by buying indulgences, uh, by praying for the dead. You can apply those merits to them in purgatory, and you can get them an early release. Um, ha have they recanted any of these teachings, which we were originally, this is what we were protesting, right? So if they haven't recanted it, what's what happened with the protest? I mean, the question I would have is, is if they're not if they haven't recanted them they're they're still teaching them it's still the dogmas of the Roman Catholic Church and you're going to a Protestant church which was established uh, because of the objection to the teaching of the church at large as known as the Roman Catholic Church at the time and that is why your denomination was started was as a protest against this and all these dogmas and teachings are still teachings of the Roman Catholic Church then why are you part of a Protestant church if they're not a big deal anymore was the Protestant Reformation necessary in your estimation and if it wasn't necessary 
if the gospel justification by faith and the gospel are yeah you know not that big of a deal then you know I, I don't know why you're not returning to the mother church being called back because there was really no reason for us to uh, try to reform the church in the first place I you know the thing that I have from my personal experience going to um, different churches uh, my wife and I have attended uh, we're now attending a reformed baptist church but uh, as we've we've grown in the Lord since he has saved us uh, we we went to a uh, a southern baptist church for a while and then a Calvary Chapel and now we ended up uh, at the reformed baptist church we are at today but in the process of that at the different churches that we attended uh, we would often encounter people that were former Roman Catholics, or I don't know if I would even call them former Roman Catholics. They didn't seem to have any issue with Roman Catholicism. Most of them would simply say, well, they're they're going to this church. They're no longer going to the Roman Catholic Church because they just weren't getting out of it, out of the Roman Catholic Church, what they get out of this church. You know, they don't get their lattes and their coffees and um, their 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 group social social meetings and you know they just they just didn't have the camaraderie within the catholic church that they do at this so-called protestant church so that's why they're there um nothing to do with the gospel nothing to do with well what i believe that my standing before god and i've been saved uh, and I've been justified by God through faith, and the Roman Catholic Church anathematizes that belief. So that's you know that's why I left. I left that church um, because of that reason. It, you just you rarely hear that anymore. Praise God, I have encountered people that um, that uh, that do believe that and have left the Roman Catholic Church for that exact reason. Um, however. The majority of Protestants today are not Protestants of any sort of conviction. Um, they are more Protestants of convenience. Uh, it's what works for them now, um, and so, and so that's that's what we see because of this. We we see a lot of people going to so-called Protestant churches, and they don't really have much of a problem with the popery um the papacy um and the roman catholic church and their teachings they're just to them they're just another denomination that has uh, just seemingly a little a few more traditions uh that maybe they're not as comfortable with and and they like more of the easy style of worship that a lot of evangelical churches have adopted today uh so in addition to all the things I listed that were huge problems for the Protestant reformers uh, with the Catholic Church, it's not gotten any better today. Uh, in fact, uh, there has been some additional things that uh, the Roman Catholic Church has claimed uh, since the Protestant Reformation, which has only added uh, to 
what we should be protesting and not taken away from it. Uh, they have declared in the First Vatican um, Council, they have declared that the Pope is now infallible. In fact, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll read this to you. Um, this is section. This would be in chapter four, section nine of the Second Vatican Council. It says here, therefore, faithfully adhering to the tradition received from the beginning of the Christian faith, and wow, that's that's an amazing claim, which just cannot be historically backed up at all. To the glory of God our Savior, for the exalta uh, exaltation of the Catholic religion, for the salvation of the Christian people, with the approval of the Sacred Council, we teach and define as divinely revealed dogma that when the Roman pontiff speaks ex cathedra, that is when, and then they list three uh, points of when he speaks ex cathedra, in the exercise of his office as shepherd and teacher of all Christians, in the virtue of his supreme apostolic authority, he defines a doctrine concerning faith and morals to be held by the whole church. He possesses, by the divine assistance promised to him in blessed Peter, that infallibility which the divine Redeemer willed his church to enjoy in defining doctrine concerning faith and morals. Therefore, such definitions of the Roman pontiff are of themselves, not by the consent of the church, irreformable. So then, should anyone, which God forbid, have the temerity, I don't even know how to say that word, to reject this definition of ours, let him be anathema. So if we reject the infallibility of the Pope, then we are anathema. As a Christian, I reject the infallibility of the Pope. The only thing that is infallible that is left to us is the word of God within the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. This is the inf the only thing that's infallible. Uh, no Roman pontiff uh, strutting around in fancy robes and a crown um, is any sort of infallible earthly source of truth and, and, uh, and decrees from God. And the, the claim is just is, is absurd. Also, since the Reformation, there has been some more um, <clears throat> an increase in uh, their their dogmas on Mary. And in fact, the Roman Catholic Catechism, there's there's three that I have the biggest problem with. And this is both the Immaculate Conception, the holiness and sinful perfection of Mary um, and the perpetual virginity of Mary. The Immaculate Conception, if you'll hear uh, a Roman Catholic mention the Immaculate Conception, <clears throat> most of the time us as Christians, we think that they're referring to the birth of Jesus Christ. But that's not actually what they're talking about. The Immaculate Conception was actually that Mary, it's talking about Mary's conception, not Jesus's, uh, that Mary was preserved from the original stain uh, from the first instant stain of sin, original sin, from the first instant of her conception. So she was not uh, imbued with the sinful nature um, as the rest of mankind is, and also as Jesus. Jesus, as we know, 
Um, it says that uh, he was likened to us uh, always like as we are yet without sin. Uh, so Jesus did not inherit the sinful nature from Adam, uh, but they would actually apply that also to Mary. And that's in the Roman Catholic Catechism, uh, paragraph 490 through 492. They also uh, claim uh, that Mary lived a perfectly sinless life, and this is in the Catechism, uh, paragraph 411 and 493. And they also would hold to the perpetual virginity of Christ, that or of Christ, of Mary, uh, saying that she was uh, always a virgin her entire life before she was uh, simply assumed. She didn't die. She was simply assumed into heaven. Uh, Catechism uh, 496 and 511 is uh, where they argue that she was always a virgin. Uh, interestingly enough, it does say in Matthew one twenty four through 25, it says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not, which is the biblical term of having sexual relations with, he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So the scripture tells us that he didn't have sexual relations with her until after she brought forth her firstborn son. We also see in uh, Matthew 13, verses 54 through 56, where, uh, and I'll just read the text, and when he had, and when he was come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary and his brethren, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? So Jesus obviously had brothers and sisters, according to the scripture, meaning that Mary was not perpetually a virgin. Also, the claim that she lived a perfect and sinless life, Scripture is very clear. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, there is no exception. And the claim sometimes is that, well, well, Jesus was exception to that. Yes, he was the God-man, the one and unique and only God-man. Uh, Mary was not, did not have a divine nature. Um, and so Jesus, as God, is the, is the exception to that because he's God. Although have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, and Mary is definitely included in that. Mary herself uh, acknowledged her need for a Savior. Uh, that is in... Uh, Luke one forty six through 47, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Sinless people don't need a Savior. Uh, Mary acknowledged her need of a Savior. So the Roman Catholic Church hasn't gotten any better. Uh, so they haven't recanted any of the reasons for the Protestant Reformation starting. They have added more absolutely ridiculous and absurd unbiblical dogmas to their uh, religion. And I would even classify it in a lot of ways cult-like. And 
they have they the recently the pope was uh and i don't have the exact quote here but was recorded as saying as you know those that are not believers uh you know all they should do is just follow their conscience and and uh god will be good with that so so now we have atheists we have you know buddhists unbelievers in jesus christ don't even believe jesus at all but as long as they follow their conscience uh, they're going to be all right. Uh, this is just so patently unbiblical that there's just not really much to even left to say. And if anyone as a professing Christian doesn't see the problems with this and still goes on and lauds the Pope as this amazing leader of Christianity, uh, you just you don't know what Christianity is at that point. Uh, the other thing that I want to address is... Pope Francis, for some reason, is so often, uh, and and I hear it in the news repeatedly. I've heard even uh, Christian pastors uh, saying this. Even some that I know myself uh, have talked about how just how humble this uh, this Pope is. Uh, he's just he's such a just a humble man. He's just he's just such an example of humility that the world should follow. I, I just I almost want to facepalm when I hear that because there is no one there's not not even I don't know of anyone else on the planet that has the hubris and pride of the Pope he number one he calls himself Holy Father this is a title alone for the Father in the triune nature of God. Jesus referred to, in John seventeen eleven in his high priestly prayer, he referred to his Father as Holy Father. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The Roman pontiff has actually taken upon, and Francis himself has taken upon himself, the title of Holy Father. This is taking a title of God upon himself. He actually accepts that accolade and people actually calling him that. That is not humility. That is the exact opposite of humility. He also takes upon titles of Jesus Christ upon himself. They refer to the Pope as the head of the church, the visible church on earth. They refer to the Pope as the head of the church. But let's look in Scripture who is called the head of the church. Colossians 1.18 And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So why is the Pope taking on the title of head of the church, the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ, not the body of the Pope. The church is the body of Christ, and for the Pope to take on the title that he is the head of the universal church is, is hubris, is the epitome of pride, and is not humility. Um, he also takes upon himself the title of the Holy Spirit. He calls himself the Vicar of Christ. <clears throat> the Vicar of Christ, 
means in place of Christ. He is the one who stands in place of Christ and represents Christ on this earth. But let's see once again scripturally who is really supposed to be the vicar of Christ. Jesus uh, tells his disciples in John 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So Jesus was promising to his followers and his disciples that when he leaves, in his place, the Holy Spirit would come and be in his place. He didn't say that there would be a apostolic succession from the seat of Peter that would sit in the place, in his place. No, the Holy Spirit is sitting in his place. And so we see the Roman Pope takes upon himself all three titles of the Trinity, and he places them upon himself. He allows himself to be called holiness. There's only one who is holy, and that is God. There is none good but God. My holiness and my righteousness as a Christian comes from the imputed righteousness of Christ on my behalf. I and myself am th the furthest thing from being holy. And all my righteousness comes from Christ. So the, the Roman Pope, to be making this claim, and for Protestant Christians to be even referring to him as your holiness or holy father, are blaspheming God. It's, it's just utter blasphemy. There's just no other way to say it. And so I, I, I simply just fail to understand the, the, uh, the fawning today that uh, professing Christians have when it comes to uh, the Pope. Let's look at uh, what some of the Reformers and what some of... Uh, those that uh, the shoulders of the giants of the Christian faith that we stand on have actually said about the Pope. Let's start off with Spurgeon. Remember I have Spurgeon back here? There's Spurgeon. Okay, for those of you that respect Spurgeon and, uh, and uh, think of him as a great uh, evangelist and uh, a teacher of the word, let's see what... Uh, what Spurgeon said about the Pope. And let's see if Spurgeon today would be fawning over the Roman Catholic Pope in the way that many Christians, professing Christians, are doing today. Uh, this is Spurgeon. It is the bound and duty of every Christian to pray against this Antichrist. And it is, and as to what Antichrist is, no sane man ought to raise a question. If it is not the Popery, of the Church of Rome, there is nothing in the world that can be called by that name. And that's Spurgeon. Uh, Spurgeon also said, Popery is contrary to Christ's gospel and is the Antichrist we ought to pray against it. It should be the daily prayer of every believer that the Antichrist might be hurled like a millstone into the flood and for Christ, because it wounds Christ, because it robs Christ of his glory, because it puts sacramental efficacy in the place of his atonement and lifts a piece of bread into the place of the Savior and a few drops of water into the place of the Holy Spirit and puts a mere fallible man like ourselves up as the vicar of Christ on earth. If we pray against it, 
because it is against him we should love the persons though we hate their errors we shall love their souls though we loathe and detest their dogmas and so the breath of our prayers will be sweetened because we turn our face towards Christ when we pray and Spurgeon here is exactly right if we love Catholics if we truly have a love for Catholics we will give them the true gospel we will tell them the truth of the error in which they are under and the truth of justification by faith how we can actually have peace with God we can have assurance of our salvation and that and that our righteousness does not come from the treasury of merit or our con, uh, continuation in the sacraments um, and that our righteousness alone comes from Christ and that is the gospel that we must give them if we love them if we fawn over their Pope and uh, talk about what amazing man of God that he is and how humble he is we are not warning them of God's judgment to come for those who do not repent and believe the gospel and so it should be our passion of ours to uh, uh, to do this uh, let's let's read what Luther said about uh, the Antichrist and if you want to uh, the Antichrist the Pope um, if you want to uh, hear what somebody that that just absolutely impugned the Roman uh, pontiff the the Vatican the whole system uh, just read anything uh, about Luther who uh, was uh, the one who started off the uh, the Protestant Reformation Luther says we here are of the conviction that the papacy is the seat of the true and real Antichrist personally I declare that I owe the Pope no other obedience than to the Antichrist and that's Luther let's see what Calvin says here uh, and he, he was referring here in the Institutes uh, uh, he's talking about the mass here and he says let my readers understand that I'm here combating the opinion with which the Roman Antichrist and his prophets have imbued the whole world, that the Mass is a work by which the priest who offers Christ and others who are in the oblation receive him gain merit with God. And just so you understand, the reason the Reformers and my own personal opposition to the Mass is that the Mass is the teaching that the Roman Catholic priest... Um, which is referred to as an alter Christos, which means another Christ, which is just utter blasphemy in itself, but that he can actually, he has the power imbued in him with his position of being priest, that he can actually call down and and call and demand Christ to uh, become embodied within the, the wafer and the, the wine and actually... Uh, it's called the doctrine of transubstantiation actually turn into the flesh and blood of Christ where it can be offered again for the sins of those who are present at the mass so Christ is offered over and over again uh, which is why Calvin here says that the mass is a work by which the priest offers Christ and so this is just so opposed in scripture in Hebrews ten fourteen, it says by a single offering he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There is no biblical example of Christ 
It's a necessity to be continually offered over and over and over all over the planet every day with the thousands of masses that occur uh, for the continual offering of his sacrifice uh, for those who are present at the mass. No, scripture says that by a single offering, one offering, that he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Um, it is not a continual action. Calvin also says, uh, some persons think us too severe and censorous when we call the Roman pontiff Antichrist, but those who are of this opinion do not consider that they bring the same charge of presumption against Paul himself, after whom we speak and whose language we adopt. I shall briefly show that Paul's word in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 are not capable of any other interpretation than that which applies them to the papacy. And in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is speaking about the Antichrists who are coming. And uh, Calvin's argument is that the Roman Pope fulfills all what Scripture says about the Antichrist. And not as in uh, singular, the Antichrist, but just what, who, who and what Antichrists are, those who are opposed to Christ. Um. For those of you out there that uh, that do believe the true gospel and uh, are trusting in Christ alone and know that it is by grace alone that God has justified you through faith alone, and that is your peace and standing with God, then my question for you would be in the Councils of Trent. Uh, let's, let's read uh, the Council of Trent in Canon 9. And so if, if you believe your standing is, is based upon uh, faith in, in Christ, then let's see what the Roman Catholics' official teaching and, and canons are on that. In Canon 9 it says, If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified, in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will. Let him be anathema. So if you believe the true gospel, the Roman Catholic Church says that you are eternally separated from God. So my question would be, is why would you be willing to call that Christianity? Why would you have no problem of sitting in a Roman Catholic Mass where they offer up Christ again and again and their official teaching is that you are anathema? Let's look at what Scripture says in Romans 3.20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 3.28 Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without or apart from the deeds of the law. In Romans 4.3, what for what hath uh, Scripture said? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Ephesians 2 verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Um, in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing 
of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's look at uh, Canon 14 of the Council of Trident. If anyone saith that man is truly absolved from his sins and justified because that he assuredly believed himself absolved and justified, or that no one is truly justified but he who believes himself justified, and that by this faith alone absolution and justification are effected, let him be anathema. Romans 5, 1 again. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, let's uh, see here. Let's go to Canon uh, 24. Uh, if anyone saith that justice, that the justice received is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not a cause of the increase thereof, let him be anathema. So what they're saying here is that if your justification doesn't increase before God through your good works, then you're anathema if you believe that. If you think that justification is simply uh, by, is, is by faith alone and that the fruits and signs of uh, the, the fruits and works in the life of a Christian are the result of their justification and not the increase of their justification, you're anathema. Let's look at what Paul says to the Galatians. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that ye are now made perfect by the flesh? So, he's directly addressing what they're saying here. He's saying, are you so foolish that having begun by the Spirit that the Spirit is the one who begins the work in us, and He perfects us, and we are justified by faith, and we are perfected for all time by that one offering, that you are then made perfect by your works in the flesh. Um, in Galatians 5, verse 1 and 3, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherefore wherewith Christ has made us free. He has freed us. Uh, Jesus said that He is a slave to sin, uh, he that who commits sin is a slave to sin, and who he who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Uh, I think that's in John 8. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. What Paul is arguing against here is the Judaizers, who are saying that, yes, faith is required, but circumcision is also required for salvation. A work is required for salvation. And Paul is saying that that is not true. And that is exactly what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. They just said in the uh, Canon uh, 24 that your justification is increased by your good works. Which is uh, completely against what the New Testament teaches. Um, in Canon 30... Uh, it says, <coughs> uh, If anyone saith that after the grace of justification has been received to every penitent sinner, the, the guilt is remitted, 
the debt of eternal punishment is blotted out in such wise that there remains not any debt of temporal punishment to be discharged either in this world or in the next in purgatory before the entrance of the kingdom of heaven can be opened to him let him be anathema so what they're saying here is that if we actually believe that all of our sin is gone and um, all of our debt has been paid uh, I would say Colossians 2.14 uh, where he canceled, let, let's actually read it here, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, that which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So Christ at the cross canceled the record of debt that was against us. He blotted it out. But the canons of the Council of Trent say otherwise. Say that if you believe that, if you actually believe that your sin debt has been completely blotted and canceled out at the cross, and, and you believe that, uh, there, that, that you don't have to pay uh, uh, another debt of temporal punishment in purgatory, then you're anathema. If you actually believe Christ's sacrifice perfected you for all time, then you're anathema. So, the uh, the Roman Catholic Church, frankly, just does not have nor does teach the gospel. They they don't have it. So I just I I really fail to understand the uh, the position of um, a lot of professing Christians today uh, when it comes to the Roman Catholic Church. You go to a Protestant church. Why are you no longer protesting? Um, I'm still protesting. So, well, that's it. That's all we have for today. Thank you for joining us. I hope I didn't scare off all my, uh, uh, my two listeners, but, uh, I hope to see you guys next week Don't and God bless. That the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom. Through Adam's offense